If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Um, I want us to start reading in verse um, 17, but we're covering verses uh, 25 through 27 this week. Before we do, I want us one more time to go to the Lord in prayer. A couple things. Um, for those of you that have been praying, I, I mentioned this today before communion, for those of you that have been praying uh, for my buddy Joey Hogan, many of you know him. Um, he, has, uh, he does not have to have uh, back surgery. Uh, Joey's going to be 29 in, in Nove- November. Um, he uh, has some nerve stuff going on. Um, for those of you that don't know or it's been too long since we've covered this, um, and obviously at 29, I know he was very, very nervous that young to be having some sort of back surgery. Um, he is very thankful for the prayers and for the love from everybody that that does not have to happen. Um, they say that through a stero- uh, steroid shot as well as um, some physical therapy, he should be able to progress um, towards uh, healing. Um, I know he's very grateful. I'm grateful to everyone that's been praying, as well as uh, we have had an unbelievable journey um, in the Hardison household um, with Kelly's grandbaby, uh, Banks. Um, for those of you that were praying, he went to the hospital Thursday night, right, Thursday afternoon, um, not this past Thursday, but two Thursdays ago, and they were there all the way through Tuesday, unable to figure out what was going on. Among many things, they found out, uh, they finally found out it was uh, salmonella poisoning uh, that had caused an intestinal infection, um, and so he is now uh, home. Um, he is healing. They are progressing through medicines, um, antibiotics, and he's going to continually be checked up on um, as they move forward. But I know that that family is obviously super grateful that their baby's home, healthy. I know Kelly's super thankful. Faye's here. She got to hold great-grandbaby yesterday. Um, Better home from the hospital. Um, I thank you all for the, uh, the journey of prayer we've been on the past two weeks for them. And I know they do too. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God... <clears throat> We approach your throne with fear and reverence, um, shouting, hallowed be your name, that you are holy, you are mighty, you are powerful, and uh, we dare not approach you, having not been purchased that uh, freedom through Christ. We are grateful for the nearness that we have to you, that we have an intimate relationship with you, an intimate knowledge of you, in which you indwell within us through your Holy Spirit. It's at the cross that we constantly fall in remembrance of the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus. In Christ, we lift your name as holy, 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 as Lord and King over all kings, Lord over all lords, through whom all creation is your footstool. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you lead us and guide us today in worship, that we would uh, read your word with discerning hearts, uh, that you would illuminate the truth to us, and that it would change us as we are guided by you to apply it towards further holiness. And that where where we fall short, you convict us and lead us to surrender. 
Guide me as I preach. May I preach what your word says effectively with purity and with truth. And stop me before I get out of hand on something that is not for your glory and not within this text. This is not the place for that, but rather the place for you to be glorified and for your name to be lifted up. I'm grateful for the opportunity to worship with this congregation and grateful for the salvation that you have given us to unify us. Use us in this time for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. We read, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water, with the washing of water by the word, that he might prevent, uh, present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives and their, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his own wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Um, we've been on this journey, obviously, through the book of Ephesians. It's a long book. It's a, uh, a book that I should say is, is deep in theology, deep in, uh, in what it has to offer, and therefore takes time to power through. Within this particular section, we have transitioned out of the call for wisdom, the call that us as believers who have been redeemed out of sin, redeemed out of darkness, as the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5 says, and called into the light that is Christ, called into the light of salvation, that we now take on this responsibility and this understanding that our lives should now be not conducted by the foolishness of a carnal heart, not conducted by the foolishness that is rebellion against God, but conducted by the wisdom of the Lord that comes as a result of understanding His will, understanding what it is that pleases Him, understanding what He desires, understanding the, His character, His nature, and His rule for authority, uh, for, for creation under His authority. That part of this will that we as Christians understand is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's to walk each and every day under the submission to His perfect word, under the submission to His perfect will, under the, the, 
the, the, uh, the specifications of his standard of holiness, his standard of righteousness, and empowered by his Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of God, to do so. Um, that's infinitely complicated to explain the ways in which the Holy Spirit indwells because he's God and we will never fully understand all of that. But it's also infinitely simple in the extent that he does the work as we obey. That's not to say we're all off the hook to just be lazy and kick our feet up, but that as we pursue righteousness, as we pursue understanding God, knowing God, as we pursue drawing near to Him, the Holy Spirit, His filling presence, is His act of changing us, molding us, shaping us to look like Christ. A result being speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Joyful celebration in worship. It has nothing to do about you having a good voice or musical ability or being able to keep time. It has to do with you understanding the truth and the truth leading you to worship, both benefiting the community in which we speak to one another these truths, as well as the glorification of the Lord who desires to hear us proclaim His name. Two other things is the giving thanks always in all things to God the Father through Jesus Christ. That Christ has given us, it's only by His name that we have access to the Father, and that it is our responsibility as people that are intimate with Him, that know Him and love Him, to draw near to Him, understanding we do so in the name of Christ. That everything, whether good or bad, everything, whether bringing your grandbaby home healthy or a trial, a period of time in the hospital, is still a gift of God's grace and His love. It's difficult to understand that. It's difficult to see these things. But to go in the grand big picture of all of this, God's glory is absolutely His goal. No matter what the surrounding circumstance, the external circumstance might look like. And that we live hearts of thankfulness always and in all things. And then lastly, the submission to one another in the fear of God. That the one who has redeemed your soul has the power to condemn it. He does not and will not because he's faithful to his covenant, and his covenant was purchased on the condemnation of his son. That should strike fear in our hearts. Reverent fear. It's one thing to be afraid of a scary movie on TV. It's another thing to be afraid of something you know could squash you. Um, he's not here today. Peter talks to me about working somewhere where he's around heavy machinery. I identify with that. I worked in a machine shop for over a year uh, when during the starting this church. Chris knows dealing with uh, his truck. There are certain things you just understand. You don't put your finger there. Amen. Chris, I'm looking for you. Amen? There are some things that you just know put the block under the tire. There's, there's, a, there's a respectful fear of something that has power. Um, God himself is the ultimate source of fear. Proverbs discusses that as fear of the, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord brings understanding that when we look at God for who he is in his grandeur and might, we have to have a natural sense of understanding who we are in our place. And that his call and his desire according to his will is our submission to one another. 
I touched on that lightly. I'm not going to get into it again much today. But the mutual submission to one another to understand. I use the example of Emma because I like embarrassing her when she's in here for service. But someone as young as Emma, even though I'm the pastor, I have no right to just boss her around. I have every, every responsibility to serve her in the same way she has a responsibility to serve this church. There's no lesser, there's no hierarchy of believers. We serve one another, submitting to one another. And in the same way as he begins to break down um, the marriage covenant, the marriage relationship, we saw last week, Paul discussed how wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, so also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. I'll make this short and sweet. The whole anti-letting men lead their homes movement is unbiblical and wrong. That does not give permission for a man to, with an iron fist, without care, without concern, beat into submission everyone in his life. No. It's not even for the man to receive glory. What we looked at specifically in this is wives don't submit to their husbands as the entire church submits to one another. Wives don't submit to their husbands and their husband's leadership because their husbands are necessarily great in and of themselves or flawless or sinless. No. The reasoning for that submission, the reasoning for the wife's responsibility and the wife's God-given calling is that the outside world, that in, in the church as well, can look at a healthy marriage relationship and when they see the bride, they see the church, Christ's bride. It's not submit to your husbands because he's fantastic. It's submit to your husbands as to the Lord in honor and glorification of God. We briefly pointed at First uh, Peter, where he talks about even in a relationship where the wife is the only believer, which is more common. It's not impossible to have a, the husband be the only believer in the home, but it is more common for the wife to be the believer in the home. Even in that situation, she is still called to submission, not because he deserves it, but because her Messiah deserves it. And because of the God-given, God-designed role in her household, it is essential that she be who God has made her to be so that his gospel and his glory will be proclaimed to the unbelievers in her home. It's not submit as the church does to Christ because your husband's great. It's beca- and you're not. It's because you are equal parts essential. Which brings us to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Not making too big a deal out of this, because I, I don't think it's intended to be that important, but for any hesitation that comes with taking on the mantle and the role of the church in submission under the leadership of another, understand that the other option is representing Jesus Christ. It's not, I don't want to submit because I want to lead the way I want to lead. It's no, you are either the person that submits 
in reflecting the church as, as, as the wife essential to that body, essential to that union, or you're the husband whose responsibility is not to lead the way you want to lead, but to lead the way that reflects Jesus Christ. That's a very, very heavy weight to carry. It's not because you're better than your wives. It's because it is your burden to carry, your burden to lead, and her burden to help you lift it. It's the call of the husband to love his wife as Christ has loved the church. Just as the wife is called to serve her husband in the same capacity that she actively serves her Lord, the husband is held to the same standard of his love for his bride. Again, wives, you serve in your home. You serve under the leadership of your husband. Not saying you don't have freedom to be involved or an opinion or, or a stance on things. You absolutely do. But you follow the leadership, the spiritual guidance of your husband for a reason. Because the church should actively serve Christ. Husbands, your responsibility is to look at your wife the way Christ looks at the church. He's commanded that his love should reflect Christ's love as demonstrated in his sacrifice. Don't, it's, Paul wasn't satisfied with love your wives as Christ loved the church, period. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Have the love for your bride that Christ had for you when he hung on the cross. Have the love for your bride that when it came time to endure the wrath of the Father, Jesus did it. We call it the passion of the Christ for a reason, because his love was passionate. You wouldn't, you wouldn't endure that without love. The world should look at the wife absolutely and see the church's commitment and service to Christ. That is a glorifying act of obedience. It brings glory to God to, to represent the church in your home. Just as it's essential that you fill that role for the church to be, for, for the gospel to be glorified, in the same way the husband must fulfill his, his part of the relationship, and that's to look like Jesus. It's why it's important we don't take portions of Scripture with a lazy or careless mindset, allowing our sinful desires to twist the message out of context. We made the joke, and this is for, I'm going to prepare everybody beforehand, this is for light, lightheartedness sake. Um, we made the joke, I think a couple weeks ago, somebody said something about not all that glitters is gold, and my dad asked me what part of Scripture that was from, and I said, it's from Lord of the Rings. He said, C.S. Lewis write that? And I said, no, J.R.R. Tolkien. Which, I mean, he knew. I mean, it was a joke. It was funny. But it's true. We come up with phrases. We, the, the, the curse of growing up in a highly churched culture is we come up with, one, phrases that aren't even biblical. Spare the rod, spoil the child isn't in the Bible. It's he who spares the rod, rod hates his child. Cleanliness is next to godliness is not in the Bible. But we tend to claim these, the Lord helps those who help themselves, is antithetical to the biblical message. But we, living in a highly churched culture, have the tendency to take 
just common sayings and attribute them to Scripture 1, which is wrong, but we also have something that I think is actually more dangerous. We have the tendency to take partial phrases of Scripture and attribute them out of context. To attribute something non-biblical to the Bible is ignorant and eventually someone's going to go, they just don't know what they're talking about. To attribute something scriptural out of context is for you to twist the words of Scripture and the only person that glorifies is the unbelieving world that wants to see why Scripture is not something to respect. It's why it's important that we don't boil all of Ephesians 5, chapters 22 through 33 into wives, listen to your husbands or else you're going to get backhanded. Because that's not what Scripture says. An overly simplistic interpretation of the woman's submission leads to the glorification of the husband. That's not in the text. Wives, submit to your husbands. Stop. We all the time spew that out. That's not what it says. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Jesus gets credit. Jesus gets the glory. You're not some vessel for service and service alone. You're a vessel to glorify God. In the same way, the husband is supposed to take a back seat, allowing his wife's service to value Christ. This does nothing but beat down women and give men a big head if we don't understand what Scripture is saying. In the same way as, as the woman's role to assume that the women are supposed to submit to their husbands according to their every selfish whim, according to the husband's every selfish whim, is to neglect the larger context of thus entering into sin. God Himself has said, "Husband and wife is to reflect the is been an eternal mystery to reflect Jesus Christ in the church. To make it something that this text does not make it is to take the church in Christ and paint it as something that it is not." Ideally, service should be in joy and celebration, following someone who understands his divine call to view her through the lens of Christ's passion for his church. I'm going to attribute this to Ed. I don't remember whether it was him or not that said this, but in, um, in marriage counseling, when you go through a passage like this, and it all, especially the less churched the person is, there's tons of awkwardness in covering the submission part. I've done it plenty of times to counsel a young couple who aren't super church or, mature, uh, uh, or um, mature in their faith. And when you start talking about the wives submitting in the home, that re- re- raises red flags. I don't know if that's a generational thing, but I know at least with my age group, we're not fans of telling women to submit. Those are very dirty words. And it's because we don't get it. I am constantly talking to Shannon about how grateful I am that she walks a very difficult life of startup church. Getting ready to burst with a second kid, a two and a half year old, working a full time job with me also working here. I'm grateful to her. And she has never once complained about it, never once spoken negatively about it. If anything, she has only ever encouraged me any time that I feel beat down about it. And why is that? Because I dare not ask her to submit to my leadership without her first understanding. I would never put something in our path that does not desperately love her. 
It should be joyful and celebrative to submit in the home under a husband's leadership. Not, as First Peter says, not always because he's going to, but because the way God designed it is that it should be joyful and in celebration because you're submitting to someone who isn't going to do a thing without a deep, passionate love for you. It's not going to cherish you the way Christ cher- carried his church to Calvary. Christ fully completed the work the Father prepared for him in order to redeem the church from its fallen state. He gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. There's a lot of completion there. In the same way, there's no sacrifice too deep for a husband to endure for his bride. Jesus Jesus didn't just partially submit to the love for the church. He went there. Ephesians 4, 1 through 2, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering in a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Just as we looked at verse 21 of chapter 5 as suggesting, wives, the submission unto your husband isn't something your husband isn't also called to do within the context of the church. Husband, the deep, passionate, abiding love for your wife that you were called to isn't something you aren't already called to anyway within the church. It should just be more precious to your bride. Walk in love as Christ loved us and has given himself for us. Sin. It is both a blatant rebellion and an offense to God's holiness. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Sin, uh, R.C. Sprawl used to famously call cosmic rebellion. It's looking at everything that has ever been created, the rules and the standards of the universe as set forth by the Holy One that is only, has on, all the authority, the only one with authority to design, create, and establish things on its foundation. Just like we saw in Psalm chapter 24, which we'll get back to in a minute. Sin is rebellion against that. It's saying no. It's cosmic rebellion. It requires the shedding of blood. It requires the punishment of a substitution, both of which were perfectly fulfilled in Christ. The only perfect sacrifice. He didn't pay for 99.99% of our sins on the cross. He fully accomplished the forgiveness of sins through the wrath he endured, and this is man's example of husbandly love. Christ didn't get far enough for you to finish the work of salvation. He went there. Full. Done. To Telestai. One word. It is finished. It's completed. He went there. Husbands, that is the standard of love. He went so far to demonstrate his love, not just for vanity's sake. Christ didn't die on the cross just to give you for salvation. He didn't. That's not, that's not love. It's not just to get you to heaven. No, he did it to accomplish a purpose, the sanctification and cleansing of the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. 
Sanctification, uh, it's a word that's a churchy word. It's uh, set apart. Um, Christ, it, it says, was sancti sanctified by the Father for the purpose of salvation. Christ himself in Scripture says he sanctified himself for the Father's will. It's to set apart. It's to establish. It's to be holy. Committed for the purpose of being other in contrast to the sinfulness of the world. Christ died so that you are no longer darkness. He died to set you aside. He loves you. He didn't die to say, I forgive you for cheating on me, you go on your way. He died to say, I forgive you for cheating on me, let me make you pure. With cleansing, Christ has purified or washed away the dirtiness present prior to his sacrifice. Both words effectively describe what was needed in the entire sacrificial system. It's a way oversimplification of the sacrificial system, but in essence to just handling the dealing of our sin, both words, sanctification and cleanness, or washing, cleansing, they're both necessary. They're only perfectly achieved through Christ. To stand before God in full communion, we are require, required both purity and holiness. You are required to no longer have sin, to be cleansed, but also to be holy, to be sanctified. To be in communion with God, it needs both. It's not just I've been forgiven. It's I've been forgiven and established for the purpose of holiness. They go hand in hand. James says faith without work is dead. It's not that you earn any bit of your faith. It's that faith changes something. It's a dual purpose. We've lacked both of these due to sinful nature, and it is through the love of Christ we've been restored. Psalm 24, we read this um, in between the songs today, verses 3 through 6. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. None of us fit that. Again, I don't know if it's a byproduct of just being in an overly churched area of the world or what, but the holiness of God doesn't usually hold a ton of weight with us. Who has the audacity to stand before God? Only he who is clean. Only he who is pure. Only he who has no other gods but God. You might not have some carved little thing in your room, but you might have that signed baseball that's just as much an idol. Or your Tar Heels, or your, your Blue Devils. Or your I Voted For bumper sticker. We've all got something that disqualifies us in every aspect of this. The one who can shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation, the God who, who, who holds his salvation. This is Jacob, Israel, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. I'm not going to get into all the, the theology there because it's way too much for today, but the fact that there is such a thing as being, Romans says it over and over, just because you're born an Israelite doesn't mean you are Israel. Just because you're born an Israelite doesn't mean you are of Jacob. No, this is Jacob, the generation of these who seek him, who seek your face. 
Those that seek to see the holiness of God, that seek refuge in that, find cleansing, salvation, and the right to stand before Him that is achieved through Jesus Christ. Paul states that the sanctification and cleansing is through the washing of water by the Word. The word used here for washing is only used one other place in Scripture as a noun. Titus 3, 3-7. through For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That was you. That was you, church. This is written to Titus in serving as an elder over a church. This is you, church. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, kindness and love of God our Savior, Jesus Christ, towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You did not earn any sort of cleansing. The Messiah saw his bride, was jealous for her, and washed her clean by his mercy. And the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The same word for washing used as a verb in Hebrews 10, 19-22. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Again, jump in your Old Testament once in a while and see exactly the reverence required to stand in the holiest place of the temple. You got free access as a dirty Gentile. Impure, unclean, without God and without hope in this world, as Ephesians says. You got free access because of Jesus Christ. Having the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. The veil was broken, the veil keeping us from the holiest, the holiest of holies, the place where you intimately and directly interacted with God himself was torn when the flesh of Christ was torn separated when the flesh of Christ was separated so that we might have the boldness to enter. And having a high priest over the house of God, Christ, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of the faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He has washed his bride clean. It's through the power of the message of God's grace in Christ that we are cleansed, washed clean from the iniquities of our sins. Where we were once unclean and impure in the eyes of God, the testimony of Christ and the revealed message of God's love and power has washed over us, making us into a new creature, all accomplished through the power of Christ's loving self-sacrifice. When it says washed by the word, uh, word there is not logos. It's not the word used to describe Christ. It's a, a different uh, rima, which is just a message. The message that we have heard as unbelievers. We have been washed by the message that has been shared to us. That is Jesus Christ. He has cleansed his bride through the message of his testimony with a goal. 
He's not just said, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and that through his love he did something by sanctifying her and cleansing her. No, but he did it for a purpose. What is the purpose? That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The goal of the sanctification, the goal of the cleansing that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, the goal of tearing the veil in his flesh so that we have free and bold access to the holiest of holies, the throne of heaven, is for a reason. It's to present a bride unto himself. I read in a commentary, I can't remember who the author was, but he talks about how, think of how a bride prepares herself for her wedding. Think of, the, think of the hundreds of thousands of dollars that go in a, into a bride presenting herself for her husband on her wedding day. Not Christ's bride. No money can achieve that, no effort, no physical beauty can achieve that. He did it. He made her beautiful. Christ loves his church dearly and wants to see her spotless, completely pure and holy. He does not do this to keep us private, but to present us to himself. He wants to show off the beauty of his church. He wants to show the accomplishment of his love. Christ didn't redeem you to get you to heaven. Christ redeemed you because he is desperate to see you as beautiful. It shows off what he did. It shows off his love. It shows off his holiness. It shows off his power. It shows off his authority. It shows off his passion. That's the gospel. He wants us to be on display before him, acceptable in his holiness. Not that we tried really, really hard to be accepted, but that he did the accepting on his own body and his own blood cleaning us and dressing us in righteousness. He shows us as glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. There is no flaw when it comes to what Jesus accomplished. It is finished. It is fulfilled. We're not perfect this side of heaven, but Jesus did it. Faith without works is dead for a reason. Because a faith that is not a relationship with Christ, a faith that is not pursuing holiness, a faith that is not a bride anxiously awaiting the wedding feast is not a bride. It's a harlot. At best, a stranger at worst. The holiness and purity that he has bestowed on us is complete, not lacking in any aspect. He wants a bride who can stand near to him in the purity required by God's holiness and that this should be modeled in the way the husband relates to his wife. The length that Christ went in his sacrificial love for the glory of a godly bride should influence the way husbands lead their homes. That's why I've got no problem saying, wives, submit to your husbands and encourage and support and walk alongside because husbands, you've got a, duty, a doozy of a responsibility. When's the last time you picked up your cross? When's the last time you had that kind of passion? When's the last time you sacrificed that much to show off in your pleasure the beauty and the purity and the, and the, and the holiness and the, the 
admirability of your bride? When was the last time you got off your rear end and desperately showed the love of Christ? I've got no problem with saying, wives, submit and support that. Because you should want that. And if you don't have that, and you don't have and you and you're married to someone that is a stranger to God, that's why First Peter says, you're the primary chosen by God influence to get him there. By showing who the church is. And look, I'm not lecturing anybody in this room. I think I, I know these fam- I know our families intimately dearly. I think we've got husbands that are on the ball and wives that are on the ball, but I do know we are increasingly in a world that can't stand the thought, can't stand the thought that there might be such a thing as a God-given role in the gender you were born in, let alone accepting the role if you accept your gender. I'm not trying to get in touch any touchy political subjects. That's the truth of Scripture. No one's won to the gospel by a wife who's abused in her home by a Christian, quote-unquote. And no one sees the glory of a church in a home where a husband is a whipped little puppy scooting around and afraid to love his wife. Look, I'm, we've got great people here. Great... I hate to put her on the spot, but I think of, Faye, I think of being at your husband's funeral and just watching people worship in the context of a horribly sorrowful thing for one reason, one reason alone. It's something that was for 35, 34 years looked like this, to have one party leave here and leave the other alone. I think of my grandfather's funeral and how... It does not surprise me that once in a while my grandmother gets choked up around us missing my grandfather. Why? Because Christ and his church are not supposed to be broken. They're not supposed to be separated. It's not supposed to fail. And it's not supposed to be taken away. But the intention isn't that it would be perfect this side of heaven. The intention is that this side of heaven, it would reflect and be special and be cherished because we're looking at it perfected. In Revelation chapter 19. We read this on Wednesday after worship within the context of the holiness of God. Likewise here in the context of the bride. Now I saw heaven open, or uh, then he said to me, verse 9, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said to me, these are true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
Verse 6, And I heard, and as it were, a voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and the sound of a mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Do we reflect in our homes the eagerness of Christ ready to see his bride in the gown of righteousness? Let's take a moment, just as we do every week, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Not we as this church, again, I know these families, I love, I love everyone here, but we just as those who call ourselves Christian in this modern world really do have what looks like an issue on our hands in regards to how ignorant we are of who our Savior is. We're lazy. We're satisfied with the lesser things. We're content here in our flaws at that, and in our sins at that. We're comfortable in our entertainment. And in doing so, we, were, we neglect to give glory where it is due, in the Holy One, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, who took away the sins of the world, who has purchased his bride, and who himself has cleansed her, who himself has presented, him, presented her to him. Let's take a moment, just as we do. Talk with God. Once again, we draw near Father, acknowledging we have access to heaven through Jesus Christ to bring all thanksgiving and then celebration to you, to lay at your feet the glory you deserve, the glory you have earned, the glory that belongs to you whether we give it or not. And as your bride, we draw near to you, saying, make us righteous, make us pure, cleanse us with the water of your word, establish us as beautiful, without wrinkle or blemish, so that your testimony might be glorified. Lead us in our homes as wives to serve as the church serves and to to uplift and encourage and, 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 and help, be the helpmate of husbands who are called to reflect your love, Christ. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to do so. Give us an increasing wisdom. Give us an increasing faith. Give us an increasing participation in your grace. Make us ready, waiting, 
and working towards your return. That we would not be caught off guard, but that we would be prepared with hearts of celebration. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, thank you, everybody. I'm, I'm, as always, I'm very, very thankful to worship with you all. Um, Christ's bride looks beautiful, as always. Let's go and be him this week.